there's a lot of changes that happen in our lives. And, you know, everything that we're familiar with is changing. You know, we're forever on the move. Doing things, eating stuff, working, jogging, writing, marrying, divorcing, shopping. You name it, we're doing it. You know, the pace is somewhere between maddening and insane. People are coming and going 24 hours a day. And the, inter- the interstates and most of our streets are so choked with traffic, it never stops. Faces reflect the tension. The air is polluted. The earth shakes. The malls are crowded. Nerves are shot. The streets are dangerous. You know, change is a constant companion of our fast-paced lives. See, every day in America, 108,000 of us move to a different home. 18,000 of those move to another state. Every day in America, the United States government issues 50 more pages of regulations. 5,800 people become 65, while 40 Americans every day turn 100. Every day in America, Americans purchase 45,000 new automobiles and trucks and smash 87,000 of them. More than 6,300 people get divorced every day in America, while 13,000 get married. See, every day in America, we eat 75 acres of pizza, 53 million hot dogs, 167 million eggs, 3 million gallons of ice cream, and 3,000 tons of candy. And I don't know if you know our minister so much, but he contributes to a lot of that candy right there. You know, more information has been produced in the last 30 years than the previous 500. More than half of the scientists who have ever lived are alive today. It's estimated that 50% of college graduates are going into jobs that didn't even exist when they were born. You know, these changes are taking place all in every field that we have out there. Travel has changed. You know, more than 200 years ago, George Washington traveled from Washington, D.C. to Virginia by horseback. It would take him 10 days traveling at a speed of 25 miles per day. Today, astronauts can enter a space shuttle and travel 25,000 miles per hour. At that speed, you can fly from New York City to San Francisco in eight minutes. You know, with all these advances in air travel, it's possible to have breakfast in New York, lunch in Dallas, and dinner in Los Angeles, and still have all your luggage end up in Mexico. (laughs) You know, one man put it this way. My great-grandfather rode a horse but was afraid of a train. My grandfather rode on a train but was afraid of a car. My father rode in a car but was afraid of an airplane. I ride in an airplane, and I'm terrified of a horse. Since the 30s, movies have gone from silent to unspeakable. Since the 50s, we had three networks at the time, NBC, ABC, and CBS. Now we have well, well over 750 channels, so that by the time you find the program you really want to watch, it's already over. And to many, television talk shows have become just one big grab bag bag of dysfunctional dysfunctional families and dysfunctional people talking about their miserable lives. In the 50s, the major discipline problems in our public schools were cigarette smoking, skipping class, running in the halls, spitballs, chewing gum, and whispering in class. Today, the major problems are deadly weapons. Kids carrying knives, guns, assault weapons. 
These are followed just slightly less by arson, drugs, vandalism, and drunkenness. Recently in, a, in Florida, at a high school there, a high school teacher observed a number of boys in the corner of the gymnasium on their hands and knees. Rushing over to these boys, the teacher demanded, what are you doing? One of the boys looked up and said, we're shooting dice. The t- teacher responded with, oh, thank goodness, I thought you were praying. No relationships are changing. 50% of our marriages now end in divorce. And the odds are, when a couple walks down the aisle to be married, their marriage won't even last seven years. One of them will walk out before the warranty on the refrigerator runs out. 42% of young people say they're sexually active. And one of every 16 teenage girls has a baby each year. Now our society has has abandoned God's laws and has been writing their own. And we've reached a state where common decency is no longer common. All our doing without God has finally undone us. And with all these changes creating chaos and crisis, we as a church have been trying to hold on. But look at the changes that have infected our church. 80 to 85% of the churches in America are either on a plateau or are declining in number. The number of unchurched Americans um, has escalated to 60% or more. Two-thirds of, our cho- two-thirds of our children in America are receiving no religious training whatsoever. See, we're facing years ahead when it's becoming increasingly difficult to minister. Churches are dealing and will be dealing with issues that no one could have imagined 50 years ago. So as our world appears to be whirling out of control, racing towards a collision with certain calamity, what can we do? i got two things for you. We must remember that God is still in charge and God never changes. See, our world is in the grip of an infinite, all-powerful God of the universe. He is in control. He never loses track of what's going on, never gets confused, never makes a wrong decision, never frets over decisions, and he always knows what he's going to do even before the circumstances arise. God has a grip on the reins of this world and the purposes, and his purposes are going to be carried out no matter what. The scriptures speak of a, of a chain, changeless God in this changing world when they state in Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Now these words from Malachi were spoken during a time of great change. Worship at that time had become flippant and casual as people gave their leftovers to God. The moral law of God was being disregarded, especially concerning marriage. The Lord's command to tithe was being ignored by the economical detriment of the nation, to the economical detriment of the nation. And neither priests nor people took seriously the threat of approaching judgment. See, in that kind of world, the kind of world they're talking about in Malachi, the God, God was reminding and warning his people that he had not changed, and that still applies today. We have to have a renewed vision. We have to have a passionate and clear vision of what God has called us to do and what we need to be. Someone once said, if you have more memories than dreams, your life is over. When we have greater memories than dreams, we will never know, or we will never make a difference in changing our world for God. And we, know, we must know where we're going 
and what we are going to do. When he was 88, the late Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes was traveling on a train. The conductor came by and and asked for his ticket. And Judge Holmes searched his pockets and fumbled through his wallet without success. The conductor was sympathetic. He said, don't worry, Mr. Holmes. You know, the Pennsylvania Railroad, we'd be more than happy to trust you. When you reach your destination, you know, you'll probably find your ticket. You can mail it to us. The conductor's kindness did not put Justice Holmes at ease. Holmes said, my dear man, my my problem is not where is my ticket, My problem is, where am I going? And many of us are experiencing that same problem. You know, we're sold on the ticket. We got the ticket. We we bought the ticket. But we don't know where we're going. We got to dream great dreams. And the challenge before us is to aim high. Because low aim is a crime. It's it's a sin. God told told Isaiah in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19... Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. See, not only is is our God an unchanging God, but our God is also the God of new ideas. God is a God who uses change. If you want to be distressed, look within. If you want to be defeated, look back. If you want to be distracted, look all around. If you want to be dismayed, look ahead. But if you want to be delivered, look up. When we focus our attention upon, upon our Lord, setbacks will become springboards. Obstacles will turn to opportunities. Barriers will turn, will turn into blessings and cowards will become courageous. See, we can learn a lot from Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty seven, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. By seeing him who is unseen. Now these last words, these last words are words that we, should, that we should use to instruct us. Moses' eyes were on God and he was able to endure. It says in another translation um, that he kept right on going. And in another, another translation it says he never flinched. See Moses had staying power. Even with all the changes that challenged him, he kept his eyes on God. And not on the obstacles. He endured in his 80s. He endured in his 90s. And well on into his hundreds. He endured despite the contempt of Pharaoh. And endured the stubbornness of the people who grumbled, complained, and rebelled against him. He endured during the criticism of those closest to him. Miriam, his his sister. Aaron, his brother. And Dothan and Abram, his companions. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. See, he fixed his eyes on the Lord... And he never looked back. And you and I can do the same. You know, we can endure by fixing our eyes on the Lord. Then we'll be courageous. Even when conspirators seem to prosper, and even when wicked, the wicked seem to be winning, even when the pressure seems to be unbearable, even when critics just won't shut up, even when big people act contemptibly small, and even when we feel as though we're all alone, and even when wrong is enthroned, And truth is fighting for existence. Whatever you're facing, look at Christ. And as you stand on the edge of new change, new challenge, new commitments, look at Christ. See, we need to fix our eyes on the unchanging, the unmovable Lord. So world, you know, 
bring on the change. Do your worst. There is nothing that can happen to us as long as we face and look and keep focused on Christ. With our eyes on Christ, we can go forward fearlessly, knowing that the things that, which are shaken will only reveal the internal and the unmovable God. You know, why should I fear the darkest hour or tremble in the tempter's power? Jesus guarantees to be my tower. Though all the flocks and the herds are dead, my soul a famine need not dread, for Jesus is my living bread. Against me, hell and earth combined, but on my side is power divine. Jesus is my all, and he is mine. See, God uses ordinary people, totally committed to him to make a difference in this changing world. See, one person can make a difference. A Boston shoe clerk once heard that it yet remains to be seen what God can do with a man, a woman, a young person who is totally dedicated to him. One guy named D.L. Moody said, you know, I'm going to be that man. And God used his evangelic meetings to lead thousands and thousands to Jesus. He personally, D.L. Moody personally led more than 150,000 to the Lord. And I can still say it today, that it still remains yet to be seen what God can do with a man, a woman, or a young person that is fully dedicated to the Lord. So what's stopping you? Step out and say, I'll be that one. I'll be that one that God can use to better his glory, to better his kingdom. What's stopping you? You know, every, for the past couple weeks, we've been talking, and I know Sean's been talking about getting in the game. Now's your time. Get in the game. Stop, stop just coming here, sitting in the pews, and get in the game. Get out there and do what God has called us to do. Get out there and use your talents for the betterment of his kingdom. You know, life gets exciting when we give God our all. And when we do, God will take us beyond where we thought we would never go, to things we could never do on our own. Then we will make a difference.